It's a way for us to now reach the world and not only to learn from it and utilize it, but to also share who we are, to share our art, to share our knowledge, our language, our culture, and traditions. Um, but I think also having and operating our own network uh, with the focus of maintaining our language and strengthening that, that we're able to set up an um, intranet within the tribe and look at how technology can play a role in continuing to maintain and strengthen the language within our homes and our families. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, I'm at the National Tribal Telecommunications Association at Gila River Indian Community, and we're talking with Kevin Shendo, the Education Director at the Pueblo of Jemez, and Angela Diaca, who is the Network Supervisor at Jemez Pueblo Tribal Network. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I am excited to talk with both of you because Kimball has uh, talked up what y'all did. <laughs> and uh, my, my limited work in New Mexico suggests that it's, it's very exciting work. And then, Kevin, I saw you on stage yesterday. I took some notes. I'm going to ask you some of the same questions and maybe probe a little bit deeper. Uh, but I'd like to just start by asking you to tell folks uh, about, about the Jemez Pueblo. Jemez is located about 50 miles northwest of Albuquerque. Uh, we're in the valley, uh, surrounded by mountains and mesas, so we have the Hamas Mountains surrounding us. Um, geographically, we're closer to Santa Fe, but uh, the road system, uh, it gets you faster to Albuquerque. Um, so we, uh, our reservation is about 89,600 acres, but it's three parcels of non-contiguous lands. So the main piece that we live on were the villages. We live in one village, uh, approximately 4,000 people, um, and... Um, that's where we had um, set up our network uh, to serve the Hamas community. Uh, we speak the Hamas language, and we've um, been in that area um, for centuries. Uh, it's called um, ancestral uh, domain and homelands there. How did an education director get stuck coming to a conference about uh, tribal telecom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, no, well, the way that we first uh, got involved with uh, broadband and, and fiber connectivity was through the FCC's E-rate program, educational rate. So in 2016, we did a consortium application working with Kimball at the Santa Fe Indian School. Uh, there were two tribal consortiums that applied to build their own self-provisioned fiber network. There was the Middle Rio Grande and then the Jemez-Zia Consortium. So we worked on those applications, which both got funded. Um, so in 2018, we actually constructed um, the Jemez-Zia um, Consortium route um, coming from the data center in Albuquerque through Bernalillo, um, through the Santa Ana Pueblo, Zia, and into Jemez. Our first um, institutions um, connected to fiber were our charter schools and our tribal libraries in Hamas and Zia. And so that's how initially we, we brought the um, broadband high-speed internet um, to our schools and our libraries first. Excellent. And Angel, how did you get into all this? I saw Kevin's posting for a call to install Wi-Fi. So I was like, oh, okay, well, then COVID happened, and I was a traveling tech for the BIA, and I kind of got grounded because there was no travel allowed and going to different communities. So when I saw a call for technicians to install um, Wi-Fi, I was like, oh, okay, let me inquire. So I'm thinking just go into a home and set up a laptop, putting passwords in and bam, you're done. Once we got together, there was a team of 16 people 
and he introduced um, the whole network, the whole fiber that was going in. And I was all like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so when we started training, it was not just hooking up a laptop to the Wi-Fi. I had to drill a hole through the wall to install the Wi-Fi on the roof and then um, an air cube inside the home. So it's been a interesting journey um it's been fun and just seeing technology involved and everything that's coming about it's really fun i i really enjoy my job we were already li living on the pueblo at the time uh yes i was so were you there for the the not so great internet service that was uh, available before yes <laughs> so i'm one of the few people that had internet in my home all the time so we started up with dial-up and uh, there's only one um, phone carrier, Windstream, that provides internet. So I ultimately upgraded to DSL, but then the thing is, literally you could take your finger and, and draw a line on the ground and they bury the wire. <laughs> so every single time the road washes out or if there's maintenance, they're always forever cutting it. So I have more downtime than, than being online. By career, I'm in the IT field, computers all the time. So I've always had internet access, like Jetpack and all that. So the 25.3 may not seem a lot, but it's awesome. <laughs> right. Well, I want to I want to compare that because um, Kevin, you mentioned the pricing. So we got a sense that it wasn't super reliable. But uh, what I what I wrote down, and I don't always write things down accurately, but you suggested it was um, three megabits down, one megabit up. It was more than a hundred dollars that people were paying for that service. Yes, when we were first uh, setting up the network, um, we did a survey, and that is correct. It was three down, one up, and on average, a um, hundred dollars or hundred and five, I think, was the average that a household was paying. I think the lowest was around fifty dollars, and the highest that uh, individual or home was paying was four hundred dollars. Wow, for such service, and um, so as we built the network just prior to the pandemic. Um, when we built the E-Rate network, what the tribe did was they invested in an empty conduit to go along the E-Rate conduit. So that infrastructure was put in place prior to the pandemic to plan for future um, development mm -hmm. of the fiber and bringing that technology to the community. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we were hit with a pandemic, but fortunately, which brought a lot of resources. And so the tribe then redirected those resources to populate the second conduit and then provide um broadband services, not only to the community for distance learning, telehealth, and all the things that the pandemic really brought forward, um, but also to bring um, fiber connectivity to our tribal programs and the tribal government. So that's how Angela and the crew came on, was at that point in time to help us develop and grow and um, put in our network there. So before you had a network director, who was making the decisions on what kind of network to build and how to do that in a reasonable time frame and all of that fun thing? Well, that was where the education department came in. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I feel like I just I want to pause there for a second because I feel like if you if you go back like a little bit, right? We have a massive problem with uh, with children being hungry. I'm like, let's let the schools solve it. Now we have a big old problem with uh, with uh, with internet access. Let's let the schools solve it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the hard problems fall to the schools. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so since we had uh, done the work to develop our E-rate network, we were the department that had the most knowledge at the time to be able to begin then to um, look at the tribal network and how that could evolve and what it would be. So we. Be 
played an integral role with our tribal administration, our leadership, and the council uh, in beginning to look at putting things into action and really um, utilizing the expertise of some of the contractors uh, and the engineers that had helped with the E-rate to just transition them to the tribal network. So Angela, I'm curious uh, that you started by learning, um, going from a Wi-Fi technician to drilling through walls. Uh, and uh, what was your progress then to now be the network director? Actually, it took some convincing because I was asked a few times to lead the team and I was hesitant because I just wanted to be a worker and this was just kind of my my side job. <laughs> and I actually was a IT uh, traveling technician uh, contractor for the BIA, so I still had that contract while I applied for my little side hustle. <laughs> and um, again, due, the, due to pandemics and then there were deaths happening and I didn't want to be the blame of bringing the virus to my community because I was traveling to other communities. So at that point in time, I had to make a decision to either just stop that job and then continue full time. So then I considered it and um, I finally said yes to the supervisory role. And um, that's where I ended up. But my experience come from like over 20 years of work. I work in the IT field. Uh, there's not any really way because this is a whole brand new office. We started out with Windows 95 computers, which the <laughs> libraries like didn't want. We had no data of customers like the residences. Nobody's ever written them down. And the crew of 16 that we were on, we literally walked house to house, wrote all the numbers down, provided surveys to see what they thought, and then we would go back and pick them up. So we had no email address or anything like that. So Google was our best friend at that point. <laughs> so we figured out Google Sheets and stuff, so a lot of sharing info, a bunch of people working from their phones, updating addresses and stuff. And everything kind of just fell in place from there. So now I'm in the supervisory role, but um, the cool thing that we're a part of is the cool cohort, and their ultimate motto is cultivating our own leaders. So with that in mind, um, I share all my experiences across the board and on the plus side of it is the fact that we get to use our native language so that way if there's any technical knowledge that one doesn't understand, I can break it down into our simple language and, and put it in contents where it's easy for them to know what's going on. So that's helped me a lot. And it's a learning curve for everything. And I got Kevin over here as my mentor and some of the things that, because I've never really worked for my own tribe either and this is the first time. Like I said, I love the job. It's a challenge, but it's something new and it's for our people. Are you using the same technology then that you started with then? Or was there an interim step and you changed the technology for the point to multi-point wireless system? Uh, we're still on the same, the same stuff that uh, we originally started with. I know there's brand new things that are coming out, but our ultimate goal is fiber to the home. <laughs> so hopefully we can get away from the wireless, not completely, but at least something like fixed wireless so that way it's more reliable. Our customers are really happy as, as of March 8th, we have 512 households. So it's a small community, so we know the people and I know who hasn't had it. There are people that feel that um, it's not gonna be good enough. So they'll be like, okay, well, can you just give us a minute to decide or whatnot? And then it turned into a year. And they must have had, heard good news because the beginning of this year, we thought we were done with installations. And it seems like we're doing an install every now and day, like every now and then up until March 8th. 
So, and then we have another one that's pending when I get back home. So it's interesting and it's, see, it's good to see that we are growing and people are putting trust. And that's the hard thing is making sure that they trust us enough that our network is good. So our response time, we gotta be there when we say, and then the hard part is that sometimes when they're down, they don't let us know. Oh yeah, I've heard that a lot. So they'll be like, oh, I guess it'll fix itself. It just has kink. So kind of like windstream. <laughs> in the meantime, they'll put something on Facebook, right? And yes. That's, that's, I hear that over and over again from small ISPs and especially tribal ISPs. It's the first place that people will know the problem is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's one of our things, too, is to be more active on Facebook and Instagram, like social media platforms. And then also going into this whole ACP thing. Um, it's just a, a lot of miscommunication, I guess I would say. We've done the advertisement, trying to see who's all interested. But it, right now, we're not paying for the service, so they don't feel that they need to apply. We try to encourage, so we throw out the information, but we only have a handful of responses so now we have to look at a whole different way um, to approach the community and then see what's going to happen. It's like fishing, trying a different bait and see, let's try this one. <laughs> How many can we reel in? Well, it's interesting, too. I mean, I, I think it's it's remarkable. You have mo nearly all the households are using it. And um, one of the barriers you've gotten rid of is costs. So, Kevin, you mentioned yesterday that uh, the, the tribe is paying for uh, all of the costs of the network with a plan to eventually then uh, shift to a charging model and taking advantage of the ACP. So how is that, how has that worked out? So initially, um, when the tribe set up the network and allocated the funding, uh, they used uh, initially was the CARES Act and then the Treasury Act dollars to help sustain the network, um, the staffing and, and the connectivity and supporting the homes to be connected um, through the Treasury Act dollars that the tribe received. And so we know that um, we did um, advise the community that there would come a time when the Treasury Act dollars ran out that we would be instituting a fee. Um, so we're kind of in that transitional phase at the moment now to begin to look at how do we then, in sustaining the program uh, and the services that we're providing, um, then transition the homes from a free service that the tribe is providing uh, as a result of the pandemic to now having to charge and, and, and pay uh, for that service and so that's where the affordable connectivity program can come in to help the tribe sustain and provide some of the resources um, to help us with that the cost of the connectivity for the homes do you think that when you remind people about that conversation many of them will remember that you warned them that there would come a day when they were going to be yeah. <laughs> we can reprint those flyers that we <laughs> delivered back then <laughs> And um, yes, and I think that, you know, the other thing is that, you know, now is kind of an opportune time where Anne just stated that, well, they're not paying for the service, so they're not really committing to apply for the ACP program. But I think if we frame it in a way where now we're going to have to bring in the monthly charge, um, but to offset that cost, you can apply to this program to help subsidize your monthly uh, fee. So that may is another strategy that we've talked about and are looking at. Do you anticipate any challenges just from what we've heard of issues with uh, the, the paperwork, people having the right documentation, um, addresses possibly not lining up right, all the different hassles that we're hearing people having to deal with? Is, is that a concern? Oh, uh, yes. And I think um, ongoing, it's going to be uh, something that we continue to revisit and how do we best support our community members in our homes to be able to go through the application process. Ange and her team have been great uh, in 
getting into the system and learning the kinks and trying to understand that so they can be able to help the people. And one of the pluses moving forward is they've been able to secure a grant. What was just shared by the FCC is that outreach grant so that we're able to now dedicate staff um, to go out into the community to sign up these homes and these families uh, and have more of that one-on-one and that will continue to be supported moving forward. I feel like that's a classic blessing and a curse. Uh, Do you get to do the paperwork on that, Angela, then? (laughs) Yes. So as a part of my role of being a supervisor, not only are you a supervisor, I got to be the admin person, I got to be everything else and like, lo and behold, like, next thing you know, I see grant applications and, like, difficult questions. But when you really sit down and bring, break it up and think about it, it's just literally what comes to mind or what's on my heart. I write, and it's the truth. And um, through that, my teammates and I, we were able to secure two of the grants. One is the Digital Navigator and the Digital Inclusion, which is the whole grant and um, what I like to call it is bridging the gap between uh, technology and traditions because we do have uh, homes that have our high-speed broadband, but some homes may only have one cell phone connected, so they're not really using the full capability of what it's intended for. They may have a smart TV, but they just don't know how to connect it. And while we were doing the installation, said, oh, well, while you're here, let me take out my laptop. Can you do this for me? So I never flat out said no, but I said, okay, I'll give... I'll leave a technician there for 20 minutes. I said, meet us at the next install, help them out. So now it gives us a greater opportunity because the fact that it is funded for that purpose and um, I'm just willing to close up that divide that there that exists. And then my main source of uh, bringing things together is using our native tongue so that way everybody gets a better understanding and a better grasp of what they're trying to learn and feel included into today's world. And then also with the uh, second grant, with the ACP outreach, that is awesome because Kevin here as education director, they focus mainly on language and make sure that we don't lose it. They have community events. So I'm all like, Kevin, can Mm -hmm. we set up a booth at your community event? Like, let us be a part of it too. So just working and collaborating with these efforts going forward, I think it's going to be a greater success and will reach more people. And now that the funding is available, that's what it's intended for. And I'm really looking forward to, to good things now. You're really looking forward. If I'm, if I could read your mind, I think you might really be looking forward to when the fiber to the home network is totally built. Because I feel like you have yet another hurdle to like manage that process. (laughs) And then once that's done, it'll be easy street for you. I hope. I hope so. (laughs) But like I said, it's for the future, it's for us, and I've kind of always been technology-minded, but when you come from a reservation where you have nothing, and when you're a little kid, you're like, ooh, I want a computer, or like, ooh, I wonder how that typewriter works kind of thing. And now, today's children, they're growing up with little iPads and whatnot already since they're young, but then once you see um, their videos start buffering, they're like having a tantrum here. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's... it's a it's a big difference and then with with the whole virtual school having all the grandmas and whatnot trying to connect their grandkids laptop and whatnot for them to go to class it's actually a necessity so we're hoping to just support a wide scope and it is the world i mean now that yeah. is the future broadband is 
Yeah, there was, uh, there was a comment that was made. I guess we can, we can end on this if, if you both have a comment about it. I'm curious. Um, it was, uh, I forget who it was yesterday, was saying that what they're really excited about is that the world will get a better chance to understand the, the genius of people that are on the Pueblos, on the reservation, who haven't had a chance to share their thoughts with the world, their art with the world, you know, their intelligence with the world. And uh, now that we get the internet connection, it's not just that they can get educated, it's that they can also be a, a part of the world as well. And so the rest of the world will benefit from that. I think so. And in my comments on that too as well, like my grandparents, uh, my grandma's 93, my grandpa's 89. Uh, I installed Wi-Fi in the house, not only for us grandkids, but I gave everybody a Roku for Christmas. So because with the pandemic, all our dances and everything stopped. So whatever they were recording and local um, singers known as the Cloud Eagles, they would do lives and people would comment what they want to hear. But it's just to encourage people not to give up. But the sound of the drum, it's our heartbeat, too. So when you hear it, it's like right away you you automatically just get excited so with that we're keeping our grandparents entertained and and keeping them in the loop not forgetting where we come from but still knowing where we can find that content online you know it takes their their mind off of things there for a minute so i was really grateful for that that's great i bet kevin wishes he didn't have to follow you with that <laughs> well i think with bringing um broadband and this new technology it does open many doors um, not only um, for our young people that are in the school system, but also for the elders in the home, and really looking at how we can maximize on the technology. You know, there's always looking at telehealth and some of those opportunities that are there. There's economic development opportunities that our people can take advantage of. And like you said, it's a way for us to now reach the world um, and not only to learn from it and utilize it, but to also share who we are to share our art, to share our knowledge, our language, our culture, and traditions. Um, but I think also having and operating our own network uh, with the focus of maintaining our language and strengthening that, that we're able to set up an um, intranet within the tribe and look at how technology can play a role in continuing to maintain and strengthen the language within our homes and our families where we may not have speakers, um, but continue to provide the language learning um, on another level as well, too. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunities that exist that we have not realized and that we have not tapped into. And I think that's the beauty of this technology is that as we own it and as we maintain it, there's a lot that we can do to really support our local tribal priorities. And, you know, we don't have much economic development in Hamas because we're in a rural area and it's more tourism traffic that goes through our area. Um, but the fiber optic cable provides a means for economic development moving forward as well, too. Wonderful. And so much of it was eased by that smart decision to add the second conduit with the E-Rate program. So really glad that worked out. And I uh, really want to thank both of you for your time today. Certainly. Thank you. And, you know, we appreciate the vision and foresight of our council to be able to see that. Uh, and when they were met with that opportunity, that they took advantage of it because that put us a lot further ahead than most communities when the pandemic did hit. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. 
Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.